And guys, as we are thinking about that, as we're thinking about these prayers that we have, we, we have an amazing message that's coming up today. And, and we, 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 as I've been saying, we've, we've had different pastors come in and share with us. And today, it's, it's divinely orchestrated by God that Pastor Brad Brinson would, would be sharing with us. So I'm going to invite Pastor Brad up here. Would you come and join me? Would you all give him a round of applause? Pastor Brad is a, is a longtime friend of Austin Oaks Church. He's known Pastor Rob, who was uh, here for 27 years. Uh, he's known Pastor Brandon and mentored Pastor Brandon for a while. He's, he was the founding pastor, founding pastor of Two Rivers Church uh, in Knoxville, uh, Tennessee. And, and, and he is mentoring pastors, and, and he has been a friend of this church. And, and so I'm going to pray for him as, as he opens God's word for us today. Would you join me in praying over this time? Heavenly Father, God, I, I praise you today. You, God, as our good Father, I praise you for the gift that you give us in, in sending people to share your word with us. God, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to receive what you have to say through your word. And God, that, that you would be glorified in this time. Lord, that we would acknowledge you as, as our one true salvation. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Well, it's great to be here. I bring greetings from Rocky Top. That's, that's uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, in case you didn't know. We have a UT there as well, I just wanted you to know. Our orange would clash with your orange, but I think we'd all get along just fine. I am amazed to be invited to speak here because Brandon's heard me preach before, and I'm still here, so that's pretty remarkable. So one miracle already today. Um, I want to begin today by asking you a question. You all ready for a question? Oh, that was bad. It's, we're gonna, I, this is a participatory experience, so are you all ready for a question? Okay, good. Here we go. I like that. It's a challenging question, and it's a really important question. If God is sovereignly in charge of the universe, does it matter if you pray? If God's will on earth is, is, uh, is intended to be done, is, is it accomplished or is it left undone if we don't pray? Is what John Wesley said true? God does nothing on earth except in answer to believing prayer. To get the answer to this question, we're going to start in a spot that might seem a little unlikely to you. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke the 15th chapter, and we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. So here's how the parable goes. Um, we'll do a flyby and then we'll dig down into it a little more deeply. A son demands to receive his in inheritance from his dad before his dad is even dead. That's just bad form in any, any generation, right? But remarkably, the father gives this inheritance to this demanding son. The son then further insults the father and the entire family by taking the inheritance and leaving. The reason that was such a big deal was inheritances in those days were generally land. So think about this. You grow up on a small farm. It's sort of struggling. Your brother wants his, and then he sells off a portion of the farm that's providing a livelihood for your siblings and your parents. And he leaves. And he takes the cash. And you all know how the story goes from there? 
he moves to a distant place, engages in some really wild living, and then, you know, when the money's gone, the friends go too, hard times come, and then he finds himself living with pigs. I'm not talking about just bad roommates here. I'm talking about literal pigs. And he is so hungry. Have anybody here ever slopped a hog? It's not something, I just want to know. Anybody here? Proudly hold up your hand. I salute you, all right? Pig slop is not something that you would want in your breakfast bowl. But he is so destitute and so starving, he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating, and he's longing to eat it himself. And he's a good Jewish boy. He's living with pigs. He knows he doesn't deserve the kindness of his father or his family, but he's so desperate. He remembers that at least the servants of his family get three squares a day and a place to, place to sleep. And so in Luke 15, 20, the events unfold where he decides to make his way back home. Let's, let's read the, the scriptures together. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, I bet he'd been rehearsing these lines all the way back home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, teachers of literature have called this the greatest short story ever told. And the reason is, it's all of our stories. Any one of us who is awake to the realities of our relationship with God understand what it means to go prodigal. Now, in Jesus' parable, when the son returns, he receives three undeserved gifts. Did you notice them in there as we walk through? First was the, the father's best robe. So his son shows up, he's, he's filthy. He has, you know, his, his clothing are rags, he's barefoot, and, and he's just destitute. And his dad immediately takes his very best robe and wraps it around his son to cover his, his brokenness and his shame. We're told that it's a symbol of forgiveness and pardon. The next thing he does, we, one other thing he does here is he puts shoes on his feet. You know, servants back in those days didn't have shoes. We get this term, we say it in our language, well, he's really well healed. It's not talking about like he's healed up well. He's like, he's got a heel. He's got shoes. The, the people that were servants didn't wear shoes. Only fathers and sons wore shoes. And so the symbol of giving the shoes is a, is a, is a restoration back immediately, not to be a servant, but to be a son to be part of the family. But the gift I want you to really pay attention to this morning is this third gift. It's the ring. In Jesus' day, a person uh, would wear a family ring, and in that ring would be like initials or some sort of unique artistic design, so that when you went and represented the family in some sort of business deal, when the contract was struck, when the sale was final, you would melt some hot wax on the document and you would seal the deal. 
with the family crest. The ring was like a credit card or a checkbook. Jesus wants us to understand that when we return to our heavenly father, he restores us by covering our shame. It's just amazing. He doesn't browbeat us. He just pardons us. The next thing is he, 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 also, he also puts us back in a place within the family. But what I want you to consider today is that he gives us authority to represent his will here on earth as it is in heaven. Pardon, place, but also power. Jesus is clear that it's God's will that we be given authority to represent his father and seal deals. So our, our big story, our big prodigal story started a long time ago. If you have a Bible or a smartphone or if you're really old school and you brought tablets of stone, just go ahead and turn to Genesis. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. We'll project it for those of you that need to follow along that way. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word image speaks of Adam and Eve being so much like God that when they interacted with created order, everything that was made and alive on the planet knew they were an extension of the Father. Here in Texas, you all have this saying, well, that boy's a spitting image of his daddy. You ever heard that one? That, that girl's a spitting image of her mama. You know, that's, that spitting image thing, have you ever thought about that? I mean, what, are they spitting a lot? What is that all about? It's the result of a lazy tongue. Back in early English, this is the way it was said. Well, that, that boy is a spiriting image of his father. That girl is a spiriting image of her mother. And, which means when you see them, you know who they come from. And it's not just that. The way they conduct themselves conveys an idea about the character and the values and the purpose of their parent. Um, we have here um, a couple that are made in the image of God. And so God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Child dedications today, we're check. We're getting that done. Increasing in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, note this next word. What is it? Help me here. Are, are, are y'all literate? Come on, help me here. What's the next word? Rule. Is, that what it's, is it up there? Rule. That's what he says to them. It's a command from God. I want you to rule. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So what Genesis describes about our, our ancestors is they were given authority. They were made to represent God. They, they, were, they were instructed to rule because they were an extension of the person of God. Now we move on in the Bible. Go take your Bible, split about in half. Go to Psalm 8, verse 3. It appears that King David is sitting out under the night sky in Jerusalem, and he looks up, and, and this is what he writes. When I consider your heavens, and the work of your fingers, 
and the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Here's his answer, verse 5. You made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him, what's the word? Ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and beasts of the field and birds of the air, fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the sea. So before we went prodigal, we were people who carried the very um, face of God into the world and did his bidding. We sealed deals representing the Father using his ring. Psalm 115, 16 goes even further in explaining our pre-prodigal relationship with God. David writes, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth, what? He's given to man. So this Hebrew, I looked up this Hebrew word given, and it could also be translated assigned or delegated. He's assigned the earth to us. He's delegated these responsibilities to govern over it to us. So God empowered Adam and Eve with authority. He made them image bearers. He called them to rule over the earth. In, in short, God wants to govern his planet in a through human method. His intent always has been to work through the people that he's created. Do you remember he used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day? When Jesus came, you know one of the first things he said? I see what my father's doing, and what? I join him. That's God's design, to sovereignly empower us to join him, and then for us to use our rings to seal deals, to loose what's in heaven, to become reality here on earth as we submit our minds and our purposes to God through our prayers. So the all-powerful, sovereign God's intent has always been to delegate governance to us. Genesis 2.15, we read this. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to, what else? What's the other word? Keep it. By the way, I just want to celebrate the teachers in the room who taught all of you all to read. You're doing great. <laughs> cultivate means to take and develop further, right? Make, to help reach potential. So joining God and what he's done is us literally taking what he's entrusted to it, us and developing it. So we have an element of responsibility to take what's been given to us and steward it, make it better. But there's something else here. It's also um, to, to, to keep it. This Hebrew word means to guard it, to protect it. Why would God empower people to protect what he'd made unless there was something or someone that God's creation needed protection from. Think about this. The earth would remain paradise if man and woman, the man and woman, Adam and Eve, cultivated and protected what God had given to them, including their God-given responsibility to represent him. But we all know how the story went, don't we? Things went wrong in the caretaker and guardian area. How many dads in the room? Dads, just can I see you for a minute? Yeah, you know, how many of you are pretty good at something? I mean, there's something you're pretty good at, other than like watching football on TV. You've got skills, right? 
And when you're, let's say you're working in your shop and you're, you're working on a car, you're, you're working, you're doing some woodwork or something like that, and one of your kids walks in and they say these words, you long to hear, can I help? Dad, which one of you don't love it when they, when your kids say, hey, can I help? And you know what? The reality is they're not very good at what you're doing, but you don't care because what you really long, what a father's heart really longs for is the relationship or participation of connecting together and sharing things. That was God's intent with Adam and Eve. His sovereign intent was that we would join him in bringing from heaven to earth what he wanted to see done. You likely know what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve went prodigal. It's what happens with all of us. We believe a lie that we'd be better off without God. Uh, We reject the Father's role in our life and we go autonomous and we squander all that's been entrusted to us in the area of our God-given responsibilities and our privileges and authorities. So get this, so complete was the delegated authority to Adam and Eve that they could even give away their rings. They could even give away their authority and tragically that's just what they did. The count of history reveals it. Turn now to Luke chapter four, verse five, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book, New Testament. Here's the context. The new, the second Adam has arrived. That's what Paul calls Jesus, and here's why. He's, he's a, a, a human, fully God, fully man, but he's sinless, and he's never given away his ring. He still has authority, and he's still intent upon serving his father in relationship with him. So Paul calls him the second Adam. Satan, uh, just as he had with Adam and Eve, launched an effort to get Jesus turn, to turn over his place of delegated authority, to give his ring to him. And in Luke 4, 5, the, the conversation begins. The devil led Jesus, Jesus up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and he said this to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want, so if you will worship me, it'll all be yours. Well, it's interesting, when you read on, Jesus never refuted that, that, that Satan was the ruler of this world. In fact, if you want to look it up in John 12, 31, and John 14, 30, and John 16, 11, he's called that multiple times because he'd been given authority over the world from the ones that were appropriately to carry it. So, ask yourself, why is the world in such a mess? How many of you found yourself yelling at the TV lately? Like you're watching news and you just can't, you just lose it. You're like, you know, like, you just start yelling at the TV. And, and you, you look at the oppression and the, the corruption and the violence. Is this God's intent? Would you please join me in saying this word? No! It's not his intent. But when people relinquish their delegated roles of governance in their families and in their communities, and they no longer use their rings to intervene and ask God to deliver here to this planet what he wants to do from heaven, things go dark. 
So when Jesus tells the story of the father restoring the ring of authority to the prodigal, what he's saying is, is when any of us returns home to our father, we receive more than just forgiveness, which I have to tell you personally, I've experienced it. It is amazing to get a fresh start when you don't deserve it. And the acceptance that you don't deserve because you've rejected him. But the thing he also wants us to understand is he wants to give us a job. And that's to use a ring. He came to restore us to him so that we could represent him on this earth and seal deals. The word redeemed is one we've heard a lot, right? Do you know what it really means? It means taking something that's ruined or worthless and making it useful again. The intent of of Jesus was to come and make us, the ones that were broken, useful again. To shine up our rings and put them back into business. So today, God's sovereign plan is to work through those he's forgiven and empowered by his spirit and get them to use their authority and to pray. Let's look quickly at how God's through human plan of governance works. Y'all still with me out there? There are three that are still with me. Okay, come on. I'm, I'm insecure, so I need feedback. Y'all, y'all still out there, right? We're still good? All right. Turn to 1 Kings 18, verse 1. 1 Kings 18, verse 1. It's here that we discover that for three years there has been a, a terrible oppression come over the nation of Israel through a king named Ahab, and the prophets of God are being killed just wherever they're caught. Um, there's a prophet named Elijah. We know that he was living in a, in a cave up in northern Israel, believing all the other prophets had already been killed. And then God speaks to Elijah, and he says to him, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. For three years, there's been a drought as a result of the rebellion of the people. And he says, if you'll go show yourself to Ahab, I'll bring rain, and I'll restore my land. Just imagine for a moment that you are a Jew and that you are living in Berlin during the time in which Hitler controlled, he's at the height of his power. And the Spirit of God through a person comes to you and says, you need to go and confront Hitler. How convincing would that encounter have to be? Right? That's what's going on here exactly. This man's hiding in a cave for fear of his life. God moves him so profoundly that he knows he's supposed to go and confront Ahab. So he does, and he, he basically, it's like an old-fashioned prophetic showdown. It's like a Western. You all in Texas should get into this. It's like, you all, get, get all your people to show up. I'll be there by myself, high noon. And we're going to see who is really God. You need to read the rest of this. It's just remarkable. And so the showdown comes, the, the pagan priests are humiliated, the people realize they're frauds, chase them out of town, beat them up, kill some of them. It's like a good Western, I'm just telling you. And then, and then that, the question is, that, how does God then send rain? Keep reading here. How, how does God intend to send rain? Now, what did we hear earlier? Who is going to make it rain? Help me. God was going to make it rain, right? 1 Kings 18, 42. 
And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a precipice that looks out on the Mediterranean one way and looks down on the valley of Megiddo the other way. And he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. I just want you to think about that posture for a minute. This is a birthing posture for women at this time. What he's getting ready to do is he's going to pray and requisition from heaven what God said he will do and bring it to pass by prayer and birth it into life in reality. From the supernatural world to the natural world, that's what he's doing. And he keeps praying and he keeps saying to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. See, all the, all the weather comes from the Mediterranean. So he says, go up now and look. You see anything? No, nothing. And he puts his, gets back in his birthing position again. He went and looked again. There was nothing. And he said, go again. This happened seven times. And on the seventh time, he said, wow, behold, I see a little cloud like a man's hand rising up off the sea. And at that point, Elijah said, I'm pretty sure he said it like this, it's fixing to rain. <laughs> and he literally ran down the mountain in a deluge. Now, get this, it's really important. God made it clear to Elijah that he willed it to rain, correct? He made it clear that he would bring the rain, correct? But how, is the, how does the rain occur? It comes through, through Elijah, his servant, using his ring, sealing a deal, delivering, asking, what, requisitioning from heaven what was already as promised to be delivered here on earth. This is God's sovereign way. He's chosen a through human method. If you're forgiven, if you're spirit-filled, and if you're forgiven and you're alive to Christ, you are, then you're also empowered. And if you know God's will, pray it. Here's a second example. One of my favorite people in the Bible, Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. The year is 606 B.C. The location is Babylon. It's been 70 years since Israel was taken into slavery because of Israel's rebellion against God. The prophet Jeremiah not only declared that this thing would happen before it happened, he also said, you'll be enslaved for 70 years. So set your watches. Like, I don't know if there's an egg timer that goes that long, but like set your watch. So Daniel's reading the, the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, and he, he starts adding up days. He goes, wow, it's 70 years. So what does Daniel begin to do? I think you know by now, right? Daniel 9, verse 3. Daniel said, I turned my face to the Lord God. What that means is I oriented myself to where I was focused on what he wanted. I, I, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In other words, I dedicated myself to asking him to bring what he'd already promised he would do. Now we know God's prophet had declared it, and yet Daniel still still needs to pray it. And we're told that he prayed for 21 days and still didn't have any sense that things had been, had been delivered from the supernatural world to the natural world until a remarkable event occurred. Um, an angel appeared to Daniel after those 21 days. Have you noticed in the Bible that when angels show up, they always say the same thing and it always fails? They always say, hey, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And then people just, you know, completely lose it and pass out. They always do. 
But they always say, don't be afraid. I don't, it's kind of, we need to send a memo to heaven. Hey, don't, don't bother with the don't be afraid thing. So here we are, Daniel 10, 12, 21 days after prayer. Then um, Daniel recounts this story of encountering this angel sent from the throne room of God. He said to me, fear not, didn't work, Daniel passed out. And then he said, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, in other words, you wanted to know my will, and you humbled yourself before your God. You aligned your purposes with his purposes. Your words have been heard in heaven. And I have come, why? Because of your words. The angel then continues to explain that he infers, it took me 21 days to get here because there was a battle in the heavenly places. And he infers that it was Daniel's persistent prayer that allowed this angelic personage to enter into human history and initiate something new. But it was Daniel praying that, that brought reality from the supernatural world to the natural word, world. Daniel, in our vernacular, he used his ring. He used his ring. Third example. This is the one I don't like. It's troubling because it reveals what happens when no one asserts their role as those given authority here on earth. Here's the situation. Israel has been living in rebellion against God now for some time, and they actually have a covenant. They have a contract with God and says, what will happen if you obey? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be protected. You'll be cared for. And what will happen if you don't? You're going to ultimately, you're going to reap what you've sown. You'll get what you deserve. You know, I'll withdraw my protection from you, and wrath will fall upon you. Bad things will occur. So the people were living in violation of every covenant they'd made with God, Speaking of this situation, God then spoke to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22, 30. God said this to Ezekiel. I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God isn't saying, I looked for someone who was a good, you know, like brick mason. What he's talking here is someone who would their, their request would stay my hand of righteous judgment. I was looking someone who would fill the gap with their words of intercession that would call out my mercy. But across the land, there was no one using their ring. Verse 31, therefore, as a consequence of prayerlessness, I've poured out my indignation upon them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. And I've returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. God was saying, I was looking for someone, anyone who understood their delegated role, who would stand up for, for mercy, who would, who would stand against the darkness, who would invite me to change hearts. I kept looking, my, in other places in Scripture it says, the eye of the Lord searches to and fro for a heart that's yielded to him, looking for someone who will cry out so that he can release blessing. He's predisposed to give it, but we have to ask. And so I've returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. 
God's mercy is given on the earth, we get what we don't deserve. When we who have delegated authority use that authority to requisition from the warehouse of God the very thing he wants to deliver already, but we have to ask. But here, because no one asked, judgment fell. When we use this ring of authority, we can, we can invite blessing. We can stand against what people deserve and ask God to stay his hand. Dads, let me talk to you for a minute. We have sort of abdicated our role. Many dads, we've abdicated our role as those who stand in the gap, per se, and, and pray for the welfare of our children and our grandchildren. We are to be the spiritual leaders of our home. You don't have to be eloquent. You can do this in your closet. But one of the things we are entrusted with is sealing deals for the welfare of those that are under our covering, under our care, and to ask that their hearts would be open to the love of God, that their minds would be turned to the truths of God's design, that they would know the grace and goodness of their creator that they would enjoy happiness in their marriage, that they would be protected from the schemes of the evil one to steal away the very purposes for which they were given their lives. We are those who are to stand in the gap. We are those who have the authority and the privilege and the gift of a ring. So God answers our question. Does it matter if I pray? Well, he's sovereignly chosen this method. He wants us to join him in what he's doing in the world. He wants us to turn our hearts to him and, and ask, what is it that he wants to see in this context? And then we pray it into reality, from the supernatural to the natural. That's what prayer is, and it's what we're called to. And through taking up our rings, we can change our families we can change our communities, but most of all, we'll change ourselves. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Lord, it just seems so crazy that you care about what we might pray. Because we feel so weak and insignificant and in a society where so often we feel like we, we, we're sort of the oddballs. And yet you're waiting and listening and looking for those who will align their hearts with your will and will then invite you to do what you want to do in heaven here on earth, first in our lives and then the lives of those closest to us and then the lives of others in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work and in our communities. Lord, would you teach us how to pray just as as you taught the disciples to let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this Thursday night, as folks here begin to meet to pray for a way to connect with and share the good news of the redeeming work of Jesus humbly and relationally, I pray, Lord, that you would move people to come and to begin to raise their voices for divine intervention and change, for, for renewal, for insight, for a greater measure of love for people that just kind of bug you 
so that we can share your good news with those around us. Lord, do you come and bless Austin Oaks Church. And Lord, would you let everyone here be reminded today, if they're your child, they have a ring. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.